What's up, guys? Welcome to the 14th episode of the Good Guy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andres Valencio. Some of the topics we'll touch on during today's episode include Tiger Woods' thrilling victory this past Sunday in the Masters, some reactions to what each of the NBA playoff series have shown us so far, and with the NFL regular season schedule officially being released on Wednesday night, I'm going to tell you guys the 10 best games that you can look forward to in the 2019 regular season. We get all that and more coming up. You're listening to The Good Guy Podcast. Welcome to episode number 14 of The Good Guy Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Andres Valencio, coming to you on Friday, April 19th, 2019. I hope that y'all had a beautiful week, got some big, big plans ahead of you for the weekend. Obviously, we got a couple holidays this weekend. Easter is coming up this Sunday, so hopefully those of you who plan on celebrating that will be able to enjoy the holiday with your family, maybe some friends. I think that, at least in this area, the East Lansing area, we're supposed to get like 70 degree weather for that day. So that's very exciting. If you're in East Lansing, you should be able to enjoy Easter with some beautiful weather. If you're enjoying the holiday elsewhere, hopefully the sunshine and warm weather finds you wherever you are. The kind of lesser decorated holiday that is also being celebrated this weekend, 420 is tomorrow. I have no doubt that some of you will be celebrating that as well. If you do so, outstanding. Have a great time. And hey, stay safe out there. Don't get behind the wheel after eating one of those funny tasting brownies or or hitting the J, all right? Stay safe. Enjoy yourself. Put on a weird movie or a good album and just kind of chill out. As an aside, I do want to give a quick shout out to everybody who took the time to reach out and wish me a happy birthday this past Tuesday. I got to say, 25 years old, I'm getting old. There's no getting past it. You know, you hit that that midway point of your 20s, reality starts to kind of hit you a little harder. But I will say every birthday serves as a reminder of how lucky I am to know so many great people, to have so many cool friends and, and, and a big, great family, so... As much as it sucks to recognize that I'm no longer as uh, youthful and spry as I once was, those of you who took the time, like I said, to to reach out and and wish me a happy birthday earlier this week, I appreciate you. You you definitely made an old man's day, so thank you for that. As for the week in sports, it was another busy one. Undoubtedly, the highlight was a riveting Masters tournament, but we're going to touch on that in a little bit. The NBA playoffs are in full swing. Lots of competitive series so far. Playoff basketball in the NBA is just incredibly fun to watch. The intensity and the effort are taken to another level. And for as much as people love March Madness, and I get why, the single elimination thing is still something that they have on the NBA, even in the playoffs. 
to see that level of intensity and effort combined with the skill level that the NBA guys bring to the table, just been such a great watch. I can't wait for more. Love this time of year in basketball. And so far, I made my picks last week. My picks are doing pretty well, with the exception of the Oklahoma City Thunder, Russell Westbrick, and playoff P, Paul George, need to get things going. But otherwise, I'm feeling pretty good about the teams I picked so far. And I'm looking forward to another great slate of games tonight. We got Toronto-Orlando. That series is surprisingly tied 1-1. Boston-Indiana. Boston with a 2-0 lead. And Portland-Oklahoma City. Again, the Thunder down 0-2. Gotta have it tonight. Come on, Russ. Come on, PG. Need you guys to step up. Elsewhere, the NHL playoffs are also underway. Now I only made one pick for that league. One pick. I just laid it out, who I thought would be champion. And it could not have gone any worse. Like literally. I picked the Tampa Bay Lightning. The prohibitive favorite. Yes, Tampa Bay who tied the NHL record all-time for most wins in a season with 62. They won the President's Cup, which is a trophy for the team that finishes the regular season with the most points. Instead of winning the Stanley Cup as I predicted, as their historic season suggested they might, Tampa Bay became the first President Cup winner in history to be swept in the first round. Oh, and they were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, who this year finished fifth in their own division and had never won a playoff series in franchise history. It'd be like the Golden State Warriors this year getting swept by the Clippers. It's embarrassing. I am totally ashamed and let down. I will root against Tampa forever now because they made me look that bad. It'd be one thing to lose in seven in the first round. Bad enough you lost already. To get swept? First President Cup team ever? To a team that had never won a series? Unbelievable. Total disaster. In some positive hockey news... I will say, former Red Wings star and longtime captain Steve Eiserman officially rejoined Detroit today in the role of GM, general manager. Now, Eiserman's been an executive before. He helped build the choking juggernaut Lightning. And his hiring provides new hope to one of the NHL's historic franchises. I know a lot of Red Wings fans I saw on social media today today are excited. And it's long overdue for a team that has missed the playoffs the last three seasons after making it the previous 25. So that's big news, great news for Hockey Town. Definitely exciting there. The NFL released its schedule Wednesday night. And the NFL draft begins next Thursday with the first round. So we're starting to kind of see the outlook of the 2019 NFL season take shape. Russell Wilson 
the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, signed an extension at the very last minute he said he would to become the NFL's highest paid player. The extension apparently came with a major personality and voice shift. If you haven't seen the video I'm talking about, look up Russell Wilson on Twitter and then look up any of his previous interviews prior to him receiving the extension. Sounds like a different guy. But as we look forward to the NFL draft, again, next Thursday, first round, and the next wave of stars that are kind of entering that league, and as we enjoy the NBA playoffs where the league's biggest stars compete in the biggest games, it was one star who almost has single-handedly carried his sport for the majority of his career who was the story of this past weekend, and possibly the year in sports. This past Sunday, nearly 11 years since his last major, Tiger Woods finally made the climb back to the top of the mountain by winning the Masters. It was his first Masters victory since 2005. And while... Some may claim I'm a victim of recency bias. I think it's safe to say it may go down as Wood's most memorable and important victory. First of all, let's just take a step back. The win was huge for golf. Tiger is far and away the sport's biggest star. And when he's winning and he's in contention... Ratings are way up. Interest increases. The diehard fans of golf will watch no matter who is in contention in any of these tournaments. But the casual fan, the one who makes the big impact on those ratings, they tune in on Sundays to see Tiger in red and in contention. Big win for golf. But for Tiger and for his legacy, the win was something more. See, Tiger has had more dominant victories, more impressive performances on his way to 14 other major championships. But this one was far different from any of his previous majors. No longer was he the up-and-coming prodigy or the dominant, unstoppable force in his prime who his peers feared and fans marveled at. This time, he wasn't a robotic figure, seemingly cold and almost programmed to dominate his sport the way nobody else could. This major was different because for the first time, his fans were not seeing Tiger win while looking up at him. This time, the fans got to see Tiger Woods become a champion again, but from their level. For the first time in his career, 
Tiger at the same time was both successful and relatable. Make no mistake, Tiger had always been pretty easy to root for, for the most part. He inspired a generation of young golfers, my generation, and including many of the young stars on tour today. I played some golf in high school. I can tell you the only golfer who I even remotely considered myself a fan of, Tiger Woods. He made golf more interesting to minority communities, dominating as one in a sport that historically and currently has been predominantly white. And golf is not like football or basketball or baseball or any team sport where fans have loyalty to a team logo or a city. Individual sports force fans to pick a favorite or favorites. And most of the golf fans I know, some decided early, some not until his prime, but majority of them at one point or another decided Tiger was their favorite. Now, the reasons? There were many. He's a minority. He's a dominant player, maybe the best ever. He's a good-looking guy. He's got some flair. He's got some passion. I'm sure many other reasons that I didn't list. But he was never a relatable figure, at least not while playing and winning at a high level. That changed this past weekend. There's a saying that America is the land of second chances. That we love a good redemption story. I agree with that. I think that's true. And I think there's a fairly simple reason. We can relate to them. Most everyone in their life, at one point or another, has screwed up, made a bad mistake, or a bad choice, or both, or several of each. Guys, Tiger Woods was married and had multiple affairs. He was publicly humiliated, went through a divorce, suffered Multiple crippling injuries that left him wondering if he could ever play golf again. He fell asleep at the wheel and was arrested. He was addicted to painkillers. He went to rehab. Tiger Woods fell off the top of the mountain. And guys, we all in our own way, have skeletons. Maybe you know someone. Or maybe you've been that person who was unfaithful to their spouse, who hurt their family, who went through surgery after surgery, who got arrested, spent the night in jail, whose 
struggled with addiction, who's watched their career fall apart, who's ruined relationships that they can never repair. Maybe you or someone you love has fallen off their mountain and have felt like they'd never be the person that they once were. Tiger Woods wasn't one or two of those things I mentioned. He was all of them. It cost him professionally and I'm sure much more irreparable damage was done personally. And he did the thing we all aspire to do when we've fallen, when we've screwed up, when we feel like we've ruined everything, when it feels like there's no chance of getting back up. He fought and he clawed and he worked his way back to the top. At least in some semblance, he achieved redemption. And you could see the change when he sank that final putt that clinched his victory. He gave his caddy a huge hug and then smiled at him and said, We did it. We. Not I. I'm not sure that Tiger Woods in his prime would have phrased it quite that way. His embrace with his children after winning was heartwarming. I'm sure any father watching hopefully at some point in their lives has had that feeling and know what that's like. Now I'm not sure whether or not Tiger Woods will ever pass Jack Nicholas for the most majors in history. I give him a shot. Certainly after this week, how couldn't you? But at 43 years old, multiple surgeries, it's far from a guarantee. But whether he wins one more major or four more majors or none, this, to me, will always be his most important. After all the shame, the injuries, the mistakes and poor choices, the bad play, he became a champion again nearly 11 years after winning his last major. The gap in between majors for Tiger Woods had never been wider. But this time, in his moment of glory and in victory, his fans had never felt closer. As we mentioned earlier on in the show, the NFL released its regular season schedule this past Wednesday. And... As an admitted football junkie, 
I have to say, it was very exciting to finally see all of the matchups set in stone. Who plays who? When do they play? What are the primetime games? Who plays on Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night? Where are they playing? You know, etc. And I have no doubt it is going to be another great NFL season with plenty of incredible games. But as a fan, anytime you look at an upcoming season schedule, whether it's just your teams or the league as a whole, especially in football, there are certain games that just stand out, that catch your eye immediately. Games and matchups that you just cannot wait to see. <clears throat> to see. So I thought, since I certainly have some games that caught my eye, I thought it'd be a good idea to go through and pick the 10 games that I am most looking forward to seeing during the 2019 regular season. Now I should note one disclaimer about this list before I release it. I didn't include any divisional matchups on the list. Why? Because we see those games every year regardless. So while I think that Packers-Bears, Cowboys-Eagles, Steelers-Browns, Chiefs-Chargers, I think that all of those and more are going to have excellent games this year. They don't make the list because we see those matchups every season. So, with all that being said, here are my top 10 most anticipated games for the 2019 NFL season. Number 10, the Baltimore Ravens at the Seattle Seahawks in Week 7. Look, this game obviously has the juicy storyline of safety Earl Thomas returning to Seattle where he had an all-pro career for years as part of the Legion of Boom. In this game, you get the new highest-paid player in the league, Russell Wilson, with his new voice and all that. Very exciting. Against Lamar Jackson, who was electrifying as a rookie for the Baltimore Ravens. These are two teams that love to run the football. Seattle was number one in the league Last season in rushing, Baltimore, I believe, was number one after Lamar became the starting quarterback. It's going to be a ground-and-pound game. Two teams mixing it up in the trenches, and it may come down to which team can make the big play through the air. You would likely give Seattle the edge because of Wilson, but now that Baltimore's added Earl Thomas, you never know if he can trick Russell Wilson, his old teammate, into making a key mistake. Number nine. Pittsburgh Steelers at the New York Jets in Week 16. This is Le'Veon Bell taking on his old squad, the team that he decided he'd rather sit out than play for. Look, the Jets are expected by many, not necessarily me, to be one of the up-and-coming teams this year. It's going to be interesting to see what Sam Darnold can do in terms of improving in his second season. They have a new coach in Adam Gase, new defensive coordinator in Greg Williams. And on Pittsburgh's side of the ball, 
Obviously, they've lost Le'Veon. Antonio Brown is now with the Raiders. But they still got Big Ben Roethlisberger. Juju Smith-Schuster seems ready to step step up as the number one. James Conner. I think that Le'Veon's going to be highly motivated. Curious to see if the Jets are in playoff contention by this point in the season. But I want to see Le'Veon take on his old team. Steelers and Jets at number nine. Number eight. The Colts at the Chargers week one. Both of these teams were in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs last year before they were blown out by the Chiefs and Patriots. But I think both think that they can take the necessary steps to elevate themselves and get to that next point with the Super Bowl. You have the Colts and Andrew Luck, who are kind of considered a Super Bowl dark horse. I don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they were last year. And now they think they're ready to take that next step towards the Super Bowl. On LA's side, you have Phillip Rivers, a very, very talented Chargers roster. And I think outside of maybe Pittsburgh, New England, you could argue that this is the best opening day game of the season. Colts at Chargers at number eight. Number seven, Cowboys at Saints, week four. Yes, I am a Cowboys fan. Yes, I may be a bit of a homer for this, but if I was being honest, all 10 of the games on here would be Dallas games. So I tried to even it out. These two teams played last season. The Cowboys ended the Saints' 11-game winning streak in a game that was a surprising defensive battle. You've got Drew Brees. You've got Sean Payton, who has been rumored for years to be lined up to take the Cowboys' job. Obviously, on the Dallas side, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and a ferocious defense that shut down Brees in the offense last season. I'd be curious to see these two teams go at it, this time in the Superdome. Number six, you're going to hate me, Cowboys at Patriots week 12. It is America's team versus America's dynasty. These are unequivocally the two most hated teams in the NFL, and yet I guarantee you this game will get massive ratings. You get Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and a Patriots offense that's going to try to make do without Rob Gronkowski. Again, against Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and a ferocious Dallas defense. These are the two teams that America loves to hate, loves to root against every week. I have a personal stake in this game, being a Cowboys fan, with my girlfriend being a Patriots fan. So I'll be pulling hard for the silver and blue of Dallas. But regardless, I do think this will be a really good matchup. Cowboys-Patriots at 6. Number 5, Patriots at Eagles in Week 11. This is obviously a rematch of the Super Bowl from a couple years ago. The Patriots will be looking for revenge. Things will look a little different from the Eagles' side, especially under center. Obviously, when the Eagles beat the Patriots a couple years ago, Nick Foles was at quarterback. He has moved on to Jacksonville, and former MVP candidate Carson Wentz will be behind center, presumably, for this matchup. Couple of kind of old faces and new places in this game. Jordan Howard at running back for the Eagles and former Bronco Demarius Thomas lining up out wide for the Patriots. I think this game has a chance to be a shootout in the similar mold of the first one. Patriots Eagles at number five. Number four, the Cleveland Browns at the New England Patriots in week eight. Yes, I know a lot of Patriots. I swear I don't like it either, but they're a great team. But the Browns are. They're kind of the off-season darlings of the NFL. The hot, young team taking on the old guard, the dynasty of the lead. 
You get Baker versus Brady. That Cleveland offense with Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and obviously the big addition, Odell Beckham Jr. Freddie Kitchens, first-year head coach against the legend, the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. Could this game be kind of a passing-of-the-torch kind of game? I wouldn't go that far yet, but it's bound to be entertaining. Browns at Patriots at number four. Number three, Packers at Chiefs in week eight. This is going to be an aerial assault. The two most talented passers, I think maybe ever, Patrick Mahomes against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the ball is going to be flying over the field. If you want to see a throwing clinic, watch these two guys play. Add in the exciting elements of guys like Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones. Packers rookie coach Matt LaFleur will be taking on Andy Reid, but he'll obviously have the more experienced quarterback. I can't wait to see these two guys go at it. And given Rodgers' age and the way the NFL schedule sets up, this may be the only time we ever see those, these two go head-to-head. Packers at Chiefs, number three. Number two. Chiefs at Patriots, week 14. This game will be a rematch of two games that were outstanding last season. Obviously, the Patriots beat the Chiefs on a last-second field goal in the regular season and then took them down in overtime in the AFC title game. The Chiefs, to their credit, had the Patriots beat. If D. Ford doesn't line up offsides on Tom Brady's last-minute interception, the Chiefs probably go to the Super Bowl. And if they win the coin toss in overtime, they still may go to the Super Bowl. Obviously, didn't happen that way. But you have Tom Brady, who has long kind of held the NFL in his grasp against the up-and-coming star of the league, potentially the next best guy, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick. Two great teams. Has to be must-see TV. Chiefs at Patriots at number two. The only game that could top that would be a rematch of the other conference title game from last season. The Saints at the Rams in Week 2 comes in at number 1. Obviously, a rematch of the NFC title game. The game that I'm sure many of you remember was decided on a terrible non-call on a play that was not only a blatant pass interference, but also helmet to helmet. Went uncalled. Saints and Rams ended up going to overtime where the Rams obviously took down New Orleans. The Saints undoubtedly will be looking for revenge while the Rams will be out to prove that their victory was not a fluke. You get two offensive geniuses, Sean Payton, Sean McVay. You get Jared Goff against Drew Brees. And Todd Gurley was a non-factor with that kind of mystery knee injury in the championship game. It'll be curious to see how he looks early on in the season, especially in a game of this magnitude. So those are my top 10 games I'm looking forward to this season. To be honest, if I really had to choose, I probably would have just picked Cowboys and Browns games. But I tried to do something I thought y'all would like as well. If there are any that you think I missed, feel free to let me know. But these are the games I'm looking forward to. Regardless, going to be a great season, and I can't wait for September. So, we mentioned earlier on in the show that the NBA playoffs are underway. And as I said before, I love this time of year in the association. 
NBA playoff basketball is just so much fun to watch. The games, I think I said this earlier, they're just on another level. I mean, you have the biggest, best players playing in the biggest games, giving everything they've got. There's no slacking off like you see in the regular season. Guys are hustling. Guys are out there just giving it everything they've got, chasing a championship. And it really doesn't get much better than that. As I mentioned earlier, part of the reason that I'm so pleased is that most of my picks, at least to this point, are doing pretty well. Six of the eight teams I picked to win their first round series are currently leading their series. Toronto is not included. They're tied 1-1 playing tonight. So by the end of the evening, it could be 7. The only team failing me so far, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Come on, Russ. Come on, Paul. I need y'all. After what happened with the NCAA March Madness Tournament, I need a really, really solid round of NBA playoff picks. Come on, guys. Don't let me down. But with seven-game series and with the way that sports are covered nowadays with these daily talk shows and such, fans and media, they kind of tend to overreact and look at things in a vacuum instead of in their totality. So, as someone who is clearly very level-headed and who sees things with such precision, I thought I would do my best to try to clear some things up and do so by introducing a new segment to the show. The segment is called, wait for it, Real or No Real? Oh yeah, very clever and a grammatic disaster, I know. But stay with me. How it works is pretty simple. I will introduce a claim or position that I've heard that pertains to each of the playoff series going on and explain whether what the statement claims is real or no real. Got it? If not, hey, no worries. It should be easy enough to pick up once we get things going. So why don't we go ahead and do that? Let's start in the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics versus Indiana Pacers series, which the Celtics currently lead 2-0. Kyrie Irving, after the first two games of the series, has shown that he is the best player in the Eastern Conference. Real or no real? I'm going to say no real. Now, let me go ahead and give Kyrie this. I think it's totally fair to say he is the best closer left in the Eastern Conference. I mean, when you need a bucket late, when there's a minute left and offense is out the window and you need to give someone the ball and say, go get me a bucket. Kyrie's as good as anyone, especially in the East. Outstanding closer. But best player in the Eastern Conference, 
Let's pump the brakes. I'd still take Giannis over him. I'd still take Kawhi Leonard. I may actually take Kyrie over Joel Embiid, given his injury issues. That one would be a toss-up. So Kyrie, great closer, but best player in the Eastern Conference? No real. 76ers Nets, where the 76ers currently lead the series 2-1. to Ben Simmons' shooting woes will keep the Sixers from reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. Real or no real? I'm going to go ahead and say this one is real. Look, I liked Ben Simmons coming uh, coming out of college a lot when he came out of LSU. I think he has rare court vision. Obviously, outstanding size for a guard. Can score at the rim. But the guy can't shoot a lick. And he couldn't shoot last year. And he came back this year and was not any better. That's an issue. Now, I don't think it'll cost them against the Nets. But the 76ers' goal coming into the season was not to defeat the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. This is a team that had championship aspirations. But when you have a primary ball handler who is not surrounded by great shooters and can't shoot himself, that is not a recipe to win big in today's NBA. Like Simmons, like some of his game, but until he learns to shoot, I believe the Sixers will always underachieve, at least based on expectations. The Toronto Raptors against the Orlando Magic. The series is tied 1-1, and these two teams do battle tonight. Kyle Lowry. The point guard is a good enough second star to help Kawhi Leonard carry the Raptors to the NBA Finals. I'm going to say this is no real. Look, Kyle Lowry seems like a really good dude. He plays his butt off. He's a good regular season player. He's got a pretty decent skill set, and he's become a better passer this year. But this guy in the playoffs, I mean, not just this year, where in game one of this series, he had zero points. Yes, zero. This guy was an NBA all-star this year. He had zero points. You and I had the same number of points as Kyle Lowry in game one. And throughout his career, he has underachieved in the playoffs. Now, I'm a big believer in Kawhi. I think he's a great player. But he can't do it all on his own, especially when he comes up against some of the better teams in the conference. I like Kyle Lowry. Like I said, he seems like a nice guy. Plays his butt off. Good regular season player. But if you're asking me in a game seven, when one of the teams has Giannis and Chris Middleton or Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum, no, I don't think Kyle Lowry can get the job done. So I'm going to say him being good enough to help Kawhi get get to the finals is no real. Finally, Bucks Pistons. Bucks leading the series 2 0. The series was over before it started. The Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. Real or no real? That is real. I picked the Bucks to make the NBA Finals. I'm 100% sticking with that. Well, now look, I understand it's not overly impressive that they're handling the Pistons, especially without Blake Griffin. The Pistons aren't a very good team to begin with. But they're doing what they're supposed to do. They are toying with them and dominating. 
I think Giannis is the best player in this conference by a fair amount. This team plays within the system. They have great system players around him, guys like Chris Middleton, guys like Brooke Lopez, who has come in and fit in splendidly this season. I think that for someone to beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series with them having home court, that would shock me. So yes, I do think the Bucks being the best team in the Eastern Conference is real. Now, let's move on to the West. The Houston Rockets against the Utah Jazz. The Rockets currently lead the series 2-0. The Rockets are the biggest threat left in the entire league to Golden State. Real or no real? I think this is real. The Rockets have blown the doors off of Utah the first two games. James Harden is playing at an unbelievable level. And you look at what Houston did last year to Golden State. I mean, they took them seven. And many have argued that had Chris Paul not gotten hurt at the end of game five, that Houston would have won that series. Now, this year, Houston doesn't have home court like they did last year. But they're playing as well right now as they did at any point during the season last year. And when you have a team that can shoot the way they can, if four out of seven nights they can shoot like that, they got a real good shot of beating the Warriors. I think they're more dangerous than the Bucks due to their experience. And I think those are the only two teams left that could give the Warriors any kind of trouble. So I do think Houston being the biggest threat left to Golden State is real. I would not pick them, but definitely the biggest threat. Blazers Thunder. Blazers currently leading the series 2-0. Two teams playing tonight. Damian Lillard, Blazers point guard, is the best player on the floor in the Oklahoma City-Portland series. Real or no real? Look, I'm going to say this is real. And coming into the series, I might have said he was third. But the reality is, you look where this league is going. It is a shooter's league. And the only two guys who can kind of even claim to be at Damian's level would be Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Russell can't shoot. He's one of the worst outside shooters by volume in league history. And he keeps shooting them. He's trying to get into these contests seemingly one-on-one with Lillard. And Lillard shoots circles around him. Now, PG's a better shooter, but he seems like he's hurt right now. And for as great of a season as Paul George had, he has never been known for coming up big in the playoffs. Damian has taken big shots. He has made big shots. He's making him this series. And as of right now, I don't know how you can say he isn't the best player on the floor. So I'm going to say that claim is real. Denver Nuggets, San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs currently lead 2-1. to one. The Nuggets are a legit contender with an elite star in Nikola Jokic. Real or no real? Look, this is no real. Now, I give teams like the Nuggets a lot of credit. They played their butt off the entire season. Head coach Mike Malone had a group of guys... Without a real superstar 
playing out of their mind, a group of system guys who just play their butt off night in and night out. But the Spurs series is showing you what the Nuggets are. They're the Indiana Pacers. And I'm not even sure Nikola Jokic is better than Victor Oladipo. He's a good player, and he does a lot of things really well. But nothing about him is particularly special. And I don't think the Thunder, the Nuggets will ever be a legit championship contender with him as that team's best player. Great story, great effort, great group, and great coaching, no doubt. And congrats to them for a good season. But there's a reason I picked them to lose to a seventh seed in the first round. And if they were an elite team with an elite superstar, that wouldn't have been the case. I'm going to say no real. Finally, we wrap up the West with Warriors Clippers. The Warriors currently lead the series 2-1. to one. The Warriors are no longer the favorites to win the title after losing Boogie Cousins for the rest of the season. Real or no real? This is no real. Now, I will say I feel horrible for Boogie Cousins. He seems like a guy who worked really hard to get back from last year's brutal injury and Achilles tear. He seemed like he was doing his best to fit into the system, to hustle more on defense, to be willing to accept less of an offensive role. And for a guy that up to this point in his career had never played a played a playoff game, to see him go down with an injury in just his second one, you hurt for the guy. And, and I do feel for him, and I hope that he has a speedy recovery and can get his money in the offseason because... He is a great player who, who kind of deserves to be treated like a, like a star. All that being said, I think the Warriors are just as dangerous. Sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen. And at times the Warriors offense would get stagnant because they were trying to include Boogie. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Now Steph, KD, and Klay Thompson can get theirs. Without having to worry about feeding Boogie. I think that anytime the Warriors step on the floor, they automatically have at least two of the three best players in KD and Steph. I don't see anybody beating them in the West, especially having home court. And I don't think anybody in the East has the combination of talent and experience to take down that juggernaut. So while losing Boogie sucks for the Warriors in terms of what it means for him, I don't think it hurts them that much. They are definitely still the favorite. Therefore, the sentiment that they are, that's no longer the case is no real. So that ends that uh, introduction to that segment. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Perhaps we'll do it again another time if there's some positive feedback, but who knows what the future holds. Regardless, can't wait to continue to watch these playoffs, see what more crazy narratives get thrown out there, and... Who knows, we may address them again in another segment of Real or No Real. We touched on the NFL schedule release a little earlier on in the show. And while that is something that football nerds like myself definitely look forward to, in the offseason of the NFL, it's at its best an appetizer. You could argue that free agency is kind of like the dessert. 
But the main course will come next Thursday when the NFL draft gets underway in Nashville, Tennessee. Six days from now, we will know where college football superstars like Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Quinnen Williams, Nick Bosa, and many others will begin their pro football careers. Now, I've said this before on the podcast. I grew up loving the NFL draft. I was a weird kid reading scouting reports and draft magazines, looking up all the mock drafts I could find, trying to create my own mock drafts. I was obsessed with it, and much like many years past, I am very excited for next Thursday to get underway and see where these guys end up and where the future of these franchises, you know, the directions that they're heading. So it seems fitting that before the first round kicks off next week, that we go ahead and take our crack at picking just the top 10. Now, I briefly considered doing the entire first round, but that would take forever, and honestly, I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk for that long. Now, this is not a reflection of who who I would pick or who I think should go at a certain spot. This is simply a reflection of who I think will go when the draft gets underway next Thursday. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get things started at pick number one. The Arizona Cardinals selecting Kyler Murray, the quarterback from Oklahoma. Now look, this has obviously been rumored for months. I think it's a done deal. Kyler is a great fit in Coach Cliff Kingsbury's air raid system. We're talking about a guy with elite speed, great arm talent. And really, the Cardinals had a chance to squash this. If Josh Rosen was really their guy, they could have come out and said, we're not picking a quarterback at number one. We like Josh. We're going to move ahead, move ahead with him. They haven't done that. So while they haven't traded Rosen yet, I think it's only a matter of time. I think it's a sign they're going to go ahead and pick the Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray, to the Cardinals at number one. Number two, we got the 49ers selecting Quinnen Williams, the defensive tackle from Alabama. You can make an argument that Kyler was the most electric player in college football last season, but Quinnen Williams was the most dominant player in college football. A guy who can take over games in the middle, and you look at the 49ers, look, in that division, you're going to be playing against Russell Wilson, that's just been locked up, Jared Goff, who just took the Rams to the Super Bowl, and potentially... A mobile guy like Kyler Murray. You want guys who can get after the quarterback. Quinnen Williams can do that and stuff the run. He'll be a big boost to the Niners defense. Quinnen Williams at number two. The Jets at number three selecting Nick Bosa, the pass rusher from Ohio State. Now, you can make the argument, and I probably would, that this guy is the best player in the draft. An elite pass rusher with an elite skill set. Just... A totally complete prospect. And if you're the Jets who are switching to a 4-3 defense this season under defensive coordinator Greg Williams, you want an edge rusher who can get to the quarterback, get to Tom Brady, get to Josh Allen. 
I think that he can be a cornerstone piece for the Jets as they revamp that side of the football and get the best player in the draft, Nick Bosa at number three. Number four, the Raiders selecting Josh Allen, the pass rusher from Kentucky. Now this guy, not a lot of people saw this guy play because he played football at Kentucky. If he was on the basketball team, probably seen a lot more of him. But he has great size, speed off of the edge, a really unique bend to get around offensive tackle, and an excellent burst and closing speed as he gets closer to the quarterback. The Raiders obviously going to be playing against guys like Phillip Rivers and Patrick Mahomes. And having traded away Khalil Mack, they had a dismal pass rush last year. Allen can come in and help that right away. Allen to the Raiders at four. Number five, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had them taking Rashawn Gary, the defensive lineman from Michigan. Now, Gary is kind of a tweener. He can play some defensive end and defensive tackle. And the Bucs selected a first round or defensive tackle in the first round last season. But they have a really limited amount of cap space and have been rumored to be interested in trading star defensive tackle Jared McCoy. If so, I think Gary's a plug-and-play guy who offers some versatility. He has an elite physical skill set. Never really put it all together at Michigan. Some may question his motor, but there's no doubt the physical skills are there. And he can allow the Bucks to hopefully uh, explore some cap flexibility options with trading McCoy. Rayshon Gary at number five. Number six, the New York Giants. How about Drew Locke, the quarterback from Missouri? Now, originally, I had Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback from Ohio State. Rumors are that the Giants are not real high on Haskins. I can't see them coming away from the sixth pick, sixth pick without selecting a quarterback. If Haskins isn't their guy, maybe they're more intrigued by the physically gifted Locke from Missouri, a guy who had some consistency issues during his time with the Tigers but certainly showed flashes of being a franchise quarterback and a guy who has the physical tools to be a star if he gets the right coaching. I think he would benefit from sitting a year under Eli Manning, who the Giants are inexplicably committed to for at least another season. Hopefully, they come to their senses and pick a quarterback. Nothing guaranteed, but I have the Giants taking lock at number six. Number seven, the Jacksonville Jaguars selecting Jawan Taylor, the offensive tackle from Florida. Look, if you're Jacksonville, they've made it clear they want to be a ground-and-pound team, and they just signed a guy who they think is their new franchise quarterback in Nick Foles. You want to be able to protect that guy. Taylor is a guy with really nice athleticism, good technique, projects as a right tackle at the next level, but he can also play the left. Probably at this point a better run blocker than a pass blocker, but undoubtedly a plug-and-play day-one starter who can help the Jags up front and protect their new asset in Foles, as well as helping them kind of lean towards that style of ground-and-pound football. Number eight, the Detroit Lions. How about Montez Sweat, the pass rusher from Mississippi State? This is a guy who absolutely dominated the combine, super freak athlete, And there's a need for the Lions here, so it makes sense. They had trouble getting to the quarterback last season. Obviously, you play against Aaron Rodgers twice a year. You want to be able to do that with some consistency. And with 
Ziggy Ansa, kind of the lead horse in that D-line, being a pending free agent after this season, it makes sense for the Lions to get the next guy in the building. I think Sweat is a good fit for them at number eight. Number nine, the Buffalo Bills selecting Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston. Now, I almost gave the the Bills the tight end from Iowa. I think his name is Hawkinson, incredibly athletic kid and who would provide a really gifted young target for a quarterback, Josh Allen. But at the end of the day, I just don't see them being able to pass up a super talent like Oliver, who was incredibly dominant during his time at Houston, especially early on. Struggled a little bit with injuries, but he has been slowly rising up draft boards. I think he makes sense for the Bills to help bolster up that defense. A guy can help get pressure up the middle on guys like Brady and Darnold. I think he makes sense for the Bills, and his talent is too good to pass up at number 9. And finally, number 10, the Denver Broncos. I was really tempted here to put Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. I think he would benefit from coming in and learning behind a veteran like Joe Flacco. But all the reports are the the Broncos are incredibly high on linebacker Devin White from LSU. And hey, understandably so. The guy is a rangy sideline-to-sideline linebacker. He's shown some really nice ability in coverage. A pretty decent blitzer who will only get better. And I think if you're Denver, given John Elway's swings and misses at the quarterback position up to this point, he may be hesitant to pick a guy in the first round unless he is 100% sure that they are a lock For as much as I like Haskins, I'm not sure you can say that about him at this point. Elway may elect to pass on him and select more of a developmental guy like West Virginia's Will Greer or NC State's Ryan Finley in rounds two or three. So I have them taking linebacker Devin White from LSU in round one. That is all for the top ten. It is unlikely, quite honestly, that many of these will be right. I would consider it a raging success if I was able to get I don't know, four out of ten of these. And in reality, this probably won't even stay the order of the top ten. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these teams trade up or down to try to get a player they want or to collect more picks. Happens all the time. You could see a team like the Miami Dolphins or the Bengals trade up for a guy who I left off in quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Regardless of what happens, I have no doubt it'll be a ton of fun to watch. I can't wait for Thursday. Had to do the mock draft today because by the time we record next week, the first round will already be finished, but we will have full analysis of the first round next Friday. So come on back. Cannot wait for that. Always an exciting time when the NFL draft rolls around. As we wrap up today's episode, um, I'm kind of going to switch up the direction of the podcast in a way that you guys listening may not expect. When I started this podcast, the goal was and is and always will be to talk sports and to keep the subjects sports related. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I promise to give you guys on each and every episode. And I try to stick to that script because that's what I know, that's what I love, that's why I do this. And I'm pretty sure that's why many of you guys listen. 
So I try to keep things, my personal life included, out of the show if they're not sports related. Because that's not what this podcast is supposed to be about. And I'm sure many of you guys don't really care to hear about that other stuff. But today, I'm going to break that rule and touch on something personal. Because I think it's important and because someone out there just may need to hear it. Um, A year ago today was probably the hardest day of my life. I was living in South Florida at the time. It was late at night. And I was woken by a phone call from one of my best friends from back home in East Lansing. My guy, Emery. Now, I've been friends with Emery for, what is it, like over like 12 years. And I've answered hundreds of phone calls from him during that time. But on this night, as soon as he spoke, I knew something was wrong. I was concerned that perhaps he had been hurt or gotten himself into some kind of trouble. But for all the thoughts that ran through my mind about what he could be calling about, there was really nothing in the world that could have prepared me for what he told me that night. And that was that one of my best friends in the world, Evan Zumakis, had taken his own life. He had turned 23 years old just nine days before that night. Now, some of you who are listening may have been lucky enough to have met and known Evan. And for those of you who didn't, it breaks my heart that you'll never get that opportunity. Evan was a lot of things. He was one of the brightest guys I've ever known with a witty sense of humor and a million dollar smile. And I don't say that about other guys often, but he had it. He was a really adventurous guy. He loved to travel. It seemed like he was always taking trips, attending concerts, shows, doing thrill-seeking stuff, you know, hiking mountains and skydiving. But then at the same point, he could be a homebody and he could enjoy the simpler things like working on his bike or going to get ice cream from the local Tasty Twist here in East Lansing. My friends and I, (laughs) we can never really explain it, but whatever good luck and good fortune that could ever find a person, it always seemed to find Evan. I remember when we were both in college, he became really close with the staff at a popular bar here in EL where a lot of people hung out. And 
He started getting perks like free drinks and skipping the line and not paying a cover and hanging out with the bar staff after hours. And honestly, it was no surprise that he found himself in that situation. I mean, even in high school, it seemed like Evan had a friend or friends in every group in the school. He was like a chameleon. He could he could blend in anywhere. And instead of falling out of touch or forgetting his friends, he was really eager to share all of these new perks with all of us. He always had a way of making his friends feel like a part of his good fortune. He didn't want to hog it for himself. He wanted you to get some too. And if for whatever reason you couldn't be there, you'd feel like you were after you listened to one of his stories. I'm sorry. No one I ever met could tell a story like him. He was fiercely loyal sometimes brutally honest. But the kind of friend you could call in the middle of the night when you were in trouble and had nowhere else to go. I think of him daily and every day it's hard. And today I can't believe that he's been gone for an entire year. Unfortunately, His loss was the first of a handful in the East Lansing community of young people who took their own lives. And I say all that to say this. If anyone who is listening to this is struggling or has ever thought about hurting themselves, I want you to know sincerely that you are not alone. I want you to know that you are loved and that things will get better, even if it doesn't seem like it right now. I want you to know that it's okay to ask for help. And to reach out to someone when you need help. A parent, a sibling, a friend, a co-worker, a teacher, a coach, a neighbor, anyone. And if you want to kind of talk to someone who doesn't know you, 1-800-273-8255 is the number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. 1-800-273-8255. You need to know that the world won't be better off without you in it. To all of us who are lucky enough to not be struggling with this battle, I urge you to reach out to your loved ones and friends Often to ask about their lives 
and let them know you care. And I'm not just talking about the struggling ones. The happy ones too, especially the happy ones. They hide it the best. And never pass up an opportunity to tell the people who are important to you that you love them. Because you never know if or when you will get another chance to speak to them. I wish I had taken more time to tell Evan when he was here. If I had more minute, one more minute of time to talk to him now, I know what I would say. I would tell him thank you for being a great friend and for showing me how to be brave enough to enjoy and experience new things in life. I would tell him, I'm sorry that I couldn't be here when he was struggling the way I know he would have been there for me. I would tell him I love him like a brother and that no matter what, he'll always be family. And I would tell him that I miss him so damn much. And I truly hope that we get to meet again one day. I don't want to lose anyone else like that. And I don't want anyone to lose anyone like that. So if you're hearing this and you're struggling... I sincerely ask, if you can't reach out to anyone, feel free to reach out to me via the phone or social media or however. I'm not here to judge, just to listen and help in any way I can. You are not alone ever. My phone is always on. With all that, um, I don't have much else to say, really. Um, I love y'all. Appreciate the support. And thank you for listening to the Good Guy Podcast.